Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. So last week, I hung y'all on a cliff, if you recall, if you were here for last week. If not, you can go back and listen. Doesn't really matter. We hung you on a cliff. I told you we were going to talk more about what we talked about last week, and I was going to preach from one of my favorite Bible stories. This is 1 Kings 19, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I absolutely love this particular story about Elijah, and the reason I love it is because there was a particularly difficult time early on when I first started full-time ministry that this passage really, really hit home with me. Uh, I, I heard this passage, I was walking through an extremely difficult season, and it meant so much to me. It brought me incredible comfort from this story. And so I think, knowing the church, our body, I think it's going to bring a lot of us incredible comfort. Uh, if we allow it. I don't know what everyone is walking through. I'm sure there are things that each of you are walking through that I don't know of. I do know what a lot of you are walking through, but this is a great passage because it provides us, if we allow it, and if we look in the right places, it provides us with incredible comfort when life gets hard. Uh, I was initially going to try to tackle this uh, in one sermon, um, but believe it or not, I know contrary to what happens every Sunday, I am trying to shorten my sermons. I, I'm trying really hard. I feel like every time I preach, I feel like a kid on Christmas. I, I love God's word, and I, I'm not using that as a cop-out to be like, I'm going to preach as long as I like, and you need to sit here through it. But, but I love God's word, and so when I talk about it, if you can't tell, I, I tend to just get into it. So some of you love it. Some of you are like, just shut up. But I'm, I'm try, I promise you, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to cut them down. So we're going to split this in half, and then I'm only going to preach on an hour for each of them, instead of preaching for two hours today on Father's Day when you all want to get to your barbecues and all that stuff. So we're going to try to cut it down. Um, we're going to cut it into two. This week we're going to do half of the story, and then next week we're going to do uh, the other half. Uh, and hopefully I can condense it down and we won't be here forever. Uh, that would be a really nice thing. So first, we're going to look at this, in this very first part of the story of Elijah. And it's something that we have to embrace as Christ followers. Last week, we talked about Enoch and Noah, and how we're told specifically in Genesis 5 and 6 that Enoch and Noah walked with God. And then we talked about the proximity of that walk. You can have different proximities in your walk with God, right? You can keep God completely out of hearing range. You can keep him all the way on the other side of I-75. You can't hear a word he's saying. He can't hear a word you're saying. And, you, and we like it that way. That's what it means when we decide we're going to do things our way. God, I don't want your advice. I don't want your help. I want to do things my way. If you want to come along and bless my way, then that's fine. But this is the way we're going. That's one way we can do it. The other way that we can do it gets us a little bit closer in our walk. And that's when we start applying the things that God tells us to apply in his word. The problem with that is that we can apply these rules and follow these rules that God gives us outside of a relationship with God. And that's not what God wants either. It's called legalism, and that's not what the gospel teaches. 
What God wants is for us to walk with him. He has given us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, right? And you don't invite someone to live inside of you if you're just going to consult that person every now and then. The idea is that we will disciple daily, every moment with the Holy Spirit. That every moment we're plugged into the Holy Spirit, listening to God as he leads us and directs us through our day. That's what a walk with God looks like. And that's what we want. But there is a solemn warning that must come with walking with God. And that is, you have to be ready to be confused. <laughs> you don't hear that preached on much, do you? I, I, don't, I don't get it, because anybody who's walked with God any amount of time, you, you get confused, right? Anybody out there, right? You're like, God, what are you doing? I don't, I don't get this. I cannot see what you could possibly be doing right now. Yet, over and over again, we teach in the church, yeah, when you hear the voice of God, there's no confusion. God's not a confusion of, or God's not a God of confusion, but of peace. There's no confusion at all. <laughs> Come on. Let's, let's be real for a minute here, right? And I think we get a little scared as the church that if we tell people, hey, get ready to be confused, that they're going to be like, oh, well, I'm not going to follow this Jesus right? But we have to be ready to be confused if we're going to walk with the real God, right? Elijah was very confused, and we see this play out in three different ways. So here's your points for today. First, we have to prepare to be confused. That's step one. We got to be ready for it. Second, we have to respond, or how we respond to that confusion is pivotal in how we move on with God. And then third, regardless of how we respond, God responds to us the same way through the gospel, which is a miracle in itself. So let's jump in. First, if you want to walk with God, if you want to hear God's voice, you must be ready to be confused. We've got to prepare for it. No one wants to hear this, but here's the problem. If God is only telling you the things that you want to hear, if God is only telling you to do things that make you comfortable, hey, you're really comfortable sitting here in this church, you know, you come on Sundays, you, you do your church thing, and then outside it doesn't really impact your life all that much, you're real good, you got your niche, you got your groove, you got your Monday Bible study, you got your Wednesday classes, you got your Sunday, you know, if you're in that, when we, we know it, right? You all know it, the Christian groove, right? And if that's your relationship with God, if that's your walk with God, I'm comfortable God never tells me anything I don't want to hear. He never says, hey, Jeremy, go do this thing that you don't really want to do. He never, you know, like my kids are good. They've got their group of friends. They're plugged in. You, let's just stay put. As your pastor, can I challenge you that if that's the extent to which you are hearing from God, you might not actually be hearing from the real God? Hmm? I serve a great God. Anyone else? But my God being so great comes with another side to that pillow that I don't always like. My God does things all the time that push me out of my comfort zone. 
that blow my mind. You know, we talk all the time about, oh, God blows my mind all the time with his mercy and grace, and when I sin and can run to him. And uh, God blows my mind a lot of other ways too, y'all. Like when he tells me to go talk to somebody that I don't want to talk to. Like when he tells me to forgive someone that I don't particularly want to forgive or that, who I don't think deserves forgiveness. Right? It's, it's not just him blowing our minds because he's good to us. We also have to allow him to blow our minds and push us into areas that maybe we don't want to go. Because that's God being God, right? We miss this today as the church becomes more enlightened, right? Because we got all the answers, don't we? As we become smarter, as you know, we can Siri and Google search whatever we need to to find all the answers. You know, <laughs> who needs prayer? You can go to Siri, right? Mm. but that's what we do but it's interesting that as we have become a more enlightened church it's become harder and harder for those enlightened individuals to hear God's voice and we see the church going in a bunch of really funky directions isn't that interesting I mean and, and look you, you can study it yourself y'all but in my experience all of these pastors who who claim to have this divine insight and revelation that no one's ever had before give it two years they're going to go off the cliff whack job city right i'm sorry that's rude <laughs> not very tolerant of me but legit you start getting into that weird stuff where oh look at this look at this revelation god's giving me and it's not long after they start doing all sorts of goofy stuff all sorts of goofy stuff for as enlightened as we are, it's become really hard to hear the voice of the true God. And I wonder if those two things are related. Because we think we're so smart, and, and this is what leadership culture teaches, right? Leadership culture, it's ingrained in leadership culture, right? You've got to have it all together. And, and I get it. Like, nobody wants to come into a, a, an establishment, a business or a church or whatever, and it feels like nobody has any idea what's going on, Right? Like, oh, hey, you know, when's this going on? Oh, I, I have no idea. I just work here, right? And so what's leadership culture teach? Well, if you don't have the answers, just pretend you do. It doesn't work with God, y'all. When we don't have the answers, nowhere in God's word does it say, hey, when you don't have the answers, just pretend you do. It's like the whole father thing, right? I don't want to push my kids to me, a flawed father. Yeah, kids, depend on me. Depend on me, kids. Depend on me. Because guess what's going to happen? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fail him. Same thing with my wife. I will fail Jana. I do fail her, probably daily, right? And if she, yes. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. But if I'm pushing my family to depend on me, that's catastrophic. Because when I fail, so does their faith. If we are teaching the church to depend on a leader, when his or her faith fails, it ruins people's faith because their faith has been put on a pastor. And you see it all the time, unfortunately. Pastors have moral failures, and people walk away from the faith. Those hypocrites, it's because they didn't point them to Jesus. It's not because they had a moral failure. Look, it sucks they had a moral failure. That's not a good thing. I'm not advocating that that's a good thing, but I am advocating point them to Jesus, because guess who's never had a moral failure? Hey, Jesus, right? 
But that's not what we do. We lose sight of this. This is super popular. Here's a Hobby Lobby sign for you. Real popular. This is the Hobby Lobby, and this one is strong in the month of June because we've got so many graduations. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it produce and sprout and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose from which I sent it. Super, super popular verse. How in the world do so many Christians ignore it? Right? Because all the time, and look, I'm not putting myself in any position, y'all, where I'm saying that I'm, I'm beyond this. This happens to me way more than it should. God does something. He throws me for a loop, and he does something that I'm not expecting. What are you doing, God? Why? Why is this happening? God, are you sleeping? God, are you there? God, do you hear? Right? All the time. All the time. And God's sitting there saying, Jeremy, do you remember the 17 cards you got from the people who attended your church after your high school graduation that all had this Bible verse in it? Were you paying attention to that Bible verse? Because my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than yours. And if that is true, and we drop that anchor, then is God only going to move in ways in which I understand? Absolutely not. Which means, as a Christ follower, I better be ready to be confused, right? And when God throws me for a loop and does something I'm not ready for or doesn't answer a prayer or whatever it is, if I'm not prepared, if I'm not anchored to the fact that his ways are higher, it's going to be catastrophic for me, isn't it? Because I'm going to be sitting there wringing my hands wondering if he's even listening to me. And it's not just us, right? Don't sit there. I mean, we can scourge ourselves, right? Get the whip cat nine tails and whip ourselves in the back oh you sinner jeremy like it happens to everybody the quicker you are to admit that it happens to you the faster you are to recovering right that's the addicts motto right first step is addicting you or is first step is addicting first step is admitting you have a problem right so you got to admit i'm screwed up i need help right so let's admit that we struggle with this Let's prepare to be confused. Look at what happens to Elijah. Let me, I got to give you a little background information first so that you understand exactly what's going on here. 1 Kings 18, maybe one of the coolest stories in the Bible. It's the story of Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. Some of you have heard the story before, but, but what happens is Elijah, he, so first of all, King Ahab, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. He's the king in Israel. He is not a good king. He has a wife named Jezebel. She is even worse, and she has Ahab wrapped around her little finger. He does absolutely whatever she wants. Uh, and, and so she leads Ahab to worship this false god Baal. Therefore, Ahab leads all of Israel to worship this false god Baal. So there's a bunch of goofy stuff going on in Israel. They're heading to the toilets pretty quick. And so it's bad. So Elijah is a prophet of the true God of Israel during this time. So he, God tells Elijah, I want you to pray that it will not rain. So Elijah says, okay, and he prays that it will not rain. And guess what? It doesn't rain. 
for a long time. You know how the farmers were freaking out for a little bit here because we had gone like almost a month without rain? Years it didn't rain. I think it was like five years or something. Absolutely no rain in Israel. So much so that Ahab and Jezebel have a hit out on Elijah. Like, kill him. You see him, you kill him. And so Elijah is literally hiding. He's hiding in caves. God sends like all of these animals to provide food for him, like ravens are bringing like bread to him and crazy stuff. So God's providing for Elijah, but all of this is going on, all right? Elijah hears from God. God says, I want you to go to Ahab and I want you to challenge his prophets, the prophets of Baal, to a holy throwdown. So Elijah says, all right. So he goes and he tells Ahab, I want you to have all of the prophets of Baal show up to this one place. I'm going to show up to this one place. We're both going to offer sacrifices to our God. Whoever's God rains fire from heaven and burns up these offerings, that's the true God. Ahab says, yeah, sure, let's do it. So they show up. Prophets of Baal, they're out there all day. They get their offerings set up. They're, you know, crying out to their God until they're hoarse. They can't talk anymore. They're pulling out whips and knives and cutting themselves. Everything you can imagine to try to get their God to answer. The whole time, Elijah's sitting on a little lawn chair on the side, making fun of them. Hey, maybe you need to yell louder. Maybe your God's in the bathroom. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he, like, just poking fun at him the whole time. Finally, they give up. Elijah says, all right, my turn. He comes up stacks the deck against his God. He takes water, whatever water, I don't even know where he got it, but he takes any water he can find and he dumps it all over the sacrifice. So much so that there's, he digs a ditch around the altar where he's offering it and the entire ditch fills with water. It's full of water, soaks it. I don't know if any of you ever been gone camping, any campers, avid campers out there, have you ever tried to light wet wood? Doesn't work, does it? Look, I'm not a good camper. We tried to have a campfire and make s'mores in our backyard the other day. I couldn't even light that fire. So I can't even imagine what it would be like to try to light wet wood, but I, even I know that doesn't work, right? You can't light wet wood. And so Elijah's literally stacking the deck against God. <laughs> All right. And what's God do? Elijah prays. He doesn't pray a long prayer. He doesn't pray a complicated prayer. Pray, prays a simple prayer and God lights it up. Everything burns it all down. The altar, the wood, the sacrifice, everything, gone. So much so, does it so much so that everyone there shouts, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Everybody in the midst of this, this idol worship and worshiping this, this false god Baal cries out and declares that the Lord is God. Elijah says, grab all these false prophets, all these prophets of Baal and kill them, get rid of them, get them out of here. And so they do that. He tells Ahab, Ahab, you go back to the palace because guess what? God says it's going to rain. And guess what happens? It pours. Torrential downpour. Ahab gets in his chariot, racing back to the, to the palace. Elijah, it's, the Bible says that he, he girds up his, himself and he runs, and he runs so fast, he beats Ahab back to the palace. You don't hear about that in spiritual gifts inventories, do you? Supernatural speed. He beats Ahab back to the palace. They get to the palace, right? And what are we thinking? What is everybody in their right mind thinking? Here comes revival, right? Right? That's what everybody's thinking. 
the king of Israel just witnessed God lay the smack down on this false god. There is no question that the entire nation is turning back to God and worshiping the one true God, right? Wrong. Because this is what happens. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more so. If by about this time tomorrow I do not make your life like the life of one of them. And Elijah was afraid and got up and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Can you imagine what's going through Elijah's head at this moment? Elijah had just witnessed possibly the greatest victory in Israel's history. I mean, God raining down fire on this offering, completely embarrassing these false prophets. It is one of the greatest stories you will ever read in the Bible. Right? I, I mean, I would really like God to do that through me. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? Like, hey, you guys don't think I can be a pastor? Watch this. <laughs> Pretty convincing argument. Elijah's got to be thinking, this is my time, right? Right? I mean, if, if I do something like that and it gets put on the internet, like, <laughs> get ready, we need more chairs in here because next week we're going to have about 7,000 people showing up who want to see the fire tricks, right? But I think that's the problem, isn't it? And you hear this all the time in charismatic churches, if people just see the miracles again, if people just see these miraculous healings, they'll come back to the Lord. Where? 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 Right? Because it sure as heck doesn't work here. Because Elijah's thinking, this is our time. It's time. The nation's going to turn back. They just saw this. The king just saw this miracle. This is it. And the exact opposite happens. It ends up making Jezebel and Ahab even more resolved to kill Elijah. Doesn't soften any hearts, nothing. Has anyone ever been there? so absolutely certain that God is setting you up for a miracle, that God is ready to move in a particular way. You have been praying, you have been pleading the name, you have been pleading the blood, you've been everything, you've been coming at it with faith, you've named it and claimed it, you've done all the things. And you've even seen the miracles leading up to it. There have been miraculous things that have happened that have opened doors that should have been closed. This is the time. This is the moment. The clouds are breaking. I can see it. God's ready to move. God, I'm ready for it. And then, crickets. Nothing. Or worse, you get what Elijah got. The exact opposite thing that was supposed to happen seems to happen. You ever done that? Y'all, this has happened to me more times than I care to count. <laughs> I've, so much so that lots of times I will joke with people. It is a joke. I, I don't actually believe this. But if you want me to pray for your situation, just ask me to pray, and I'll pray the opposite, and then God will probably do that. But that's how it feels sometimes, right? Like every time you pray, it's like, God, I think you goofed up here. I think you got his prayer, and I got theirs. Like, can we trade heavenly up there? Because I think you crossed the lines. And what do we do when that happens? 
God, what are you doing? Didn't you get the memo, Lord? I did everything that I was supposed to do. When do you start doing your job? Right? Don't pretend with Jesus. That's what we do. And we've got to be careful. Because if we aren't prepared for this confusion, if we aren't prepared to serve a God who is going to do things quite often, more often than not, outside of our understanding, then our response is going to be less than desirable. And this is what we see from Elijah. I think a lot of times we kind of we miss what's going on here in this story. We fly through it and we don't really focus on what's happening. But this is what we're told. Look at how Elijah responds here. It says he was afraid, rightfully so, right? The king of Israel and his wife are out to kill him. He was afraid. He got up and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked for himself to die and said, Enough, now Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. There are actually some Bible scholars that, that think that when they compiled all of these stories and, and like put them in order, that they actually goofed this up. They, they think that because 1 Kings 18 is so triumphant and so they think there's no way that somebody who had just witnessed this kind of miracle, a prophet of Israel who had just witnessed this kind of miracle, there is no way that in the very next chapter he could be so despondent, so depressed that he's crying out to God, God, just take my life. I'm, I'm, I'm done here. And I would say to those scholars, you've never had this happen to you, have you? Right? Anyone? Because anybody who has walked through something like this, you know full well that this is exactly how quickly it can turn. I actually think, I, I, I'm very convinced of this. I think after our greatest victories as Christians, I think that is the most dangerous time as Christians. I think that is the most dangerous moment as Christ followers. After we see these incredible victories and, and incredible moments and, and, and spiritual revelation and everything, because what happens is we have these incredible moments and human nature kicks in and we, we release, we, we loosen our grip on our anchor. We say, oh, Jesus, that was awesome, but pride starts to kind of creep in a little bit and we think that, well, maybe I had a little something to do with that. And we loosen the grip on the anchor. You never loosen your grip on the anchor when life's falling apart, right? <laughs> when Jesus is the only thing you got left, it's like, well, Jesus, ride or die, buddy, because I got nothing else. But when you're on top of the world and everybody's saying, oh, man, pastor, you're so great. Oh, this, this is so great. Oh, man, did you see those miracles? Oh, did you hear the testimonies? You can say, yeah, yeah, I did. I heard it. But you can keep telling me. But it makes me feel good, right? And we loosen our grip on that anchor. And so it is absolutely, 100%, I've said this before, but these are some of the greatest blessings God can give to us. Because when God doesn't respond the way Elijah expects, it forces him back into humility, doesn't it? But look at what's going on here. Look at what Elijah is doing. He's running for his life. He fires his assistant, so when it says that he goes to, to Beersheba, which is in Judah, and he leaves his assistant there, he, he fires his assistant, which is more or less saying, God, I'm done. Israel, 
Judah, whoever expects me to be a prophet after this, I'm done. I quit. God, I'm done with the ministry. I'm walking away. And then what's he do? Literally walks away. Right? He has no idea what to do next. And so he wanders for an entire day into the wilderness, plops himself down underneath a tree and says, God, kill me. Take my life. Now, notice, he does not take his own life, right? Because Elijah knows the spiritual truth, even your own life is not yours, right? So he doesn't do that, but he does say, God, I I don't want to live anymore. But what's Elijah really doing? He's throwing a temper tantrum, isn't he? Y'all, it's kind of funny, isn't it? When you look at it, Elijah's like Gideon, right? When Jana won't give Gideon a drink of her hot coffee. Throws himself on the floor, kicking and screaming. <laughs> right? That's exactly what Elijah's doing. What's he saying? God, you didn't do things the way I wanted, so I'm done. I'm taking my ball, and I'm going home. Right? That's exactly what he's doing, and we can look at that, and we can laugh until we look at the fact that we do the exact same thing, don't we? Y'all, I do the exact same thing. Hitting on that Romans again. Careful before you judge someone, right? We tend to do this. We read these stories in the Bible, and we think, oh, stupid Peter. Look at Peter always doing dumb things with Jesus. Jeremy, how many times have you put your foot in your mouth? Oh, yeah, about that. Y'all, this happens to me all the time. All the time, right? God doesn't move the way that I want. You know, I told y'all at the very beginning that this passage provided great comfort for me in a moment of ministry where I was just going through it, right? But do you know why it provided great comfort for me? Because I was doing exactly what Elijah was doing, right? I'd love to tell you that I was sitting there like so nobly suffering and, oh, you know, I suffered better than anybody's ever suffered in the history of Jesus and I I was great. No, I was throwing a temper tantrum. I was yelling at God, God, why are you doing this to me? I have left everything to come into this job, this full-time ministry position, and you do this? This is what I get? God, I gave everything to you. I've done everything you've asked me to do and then some. When do you start kicking in here? When do you start doing your thing? That was what I was saying to God, feeling sorry for myself. Definitely not suffering well, right? (laughs) Throwing myself a pity party. I was sitting under a tree and I was pouting. But then I heard this passage. I was taught what's actually going on in this passage, and I took incredible comfort. I did not take incredible comfort. Now be careful, careful, careful where you find your comfort. You ever heard the saying, misery loves company? Do not take your comfort from Elijah's misery. We have a tendency when we read these Bible stories, you know there's that stupid Facebook thing that goes through like Moses was a murderer and 
what you know, like goes through all the list of all the Bible characters who did things. That that's that's taking comfort in misery, okay? Because what you're doing is you're comforting your, yourself in the sins of others. Well, I'm not that bad, right? That's exactly what that is, and that is awful. Don't do it. It's horrible. Bad theology, bad anchor, bad everything. Stay away from that garbage. Instead of finding your comfort in, well, Elijah was the prophet of Israel, and he did this, so it's okay for me to do this, right? We, we do this today, careful. Society is all about feelings. Your feelings are valid. Feel them as long as you'd like, right? That's not what God says, y'all. God says your feelings are valid, but he says, take my hand, and let's walk out of this together, right? That's what he says. So don't take comfort in the fact that Elijah was a scumbag, okay? We're all scumbags. That's not supposed to give you comfort. <laughs> Take comfort in the fact that God still responds. And the exact same way that God responded to Elijah is the same way he responds to us. Even when we throw ourselves these pity parties. Even when we are depressed and down and out and can't come to him with anything but complaints. God still responds. Look at how he responds to Elijah. It says, then he lay down, this is Elijah, he lay down and fell asleep under a broom tree, but behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, arise, eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a round loaf of bread baked on hot coals and a pitcher of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. But the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, arise, eat, because the journey is too long for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he journeyed in the strength of that for of, the, of, the, of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. That's a powerful cake, isn't it? You're going to take, it's, it's like the Lord of the Rings. Remember when the, in the Lord of the Rings when they get the laminous bread, right? And it fuels them for, if you don't like the Lord of the Rings, sorry, I'd like it. But that's powerful food. He takes, takes a bite of this cake and it fuels him for 40 days and 40 nights all the way until he gets to this, this mountain of Horeb. But look at how God responds. He responds to Elijah as a person, as a whole person, right? He responds to him holistically, to the whole person. Lots of times we get this faulty idea that, you know, God only responds to us spiritually, right? Well, God does all the spiritual stuff and then the physical stuff, and actually that comes from a very, very ancient religion that, that isn't Christianity. It's not how God works. When God responds to us, he responds to the entire person because there's, there's a thinking out there, spiritual good, physical bad, right? So we deny our physical bodies, but we enlighten the spiritual bodies, right? That's not what God says. That's not how God responds to Elijah here. What does God do? He shows up and he says, hey, Elijah, you're hungry. When's the last time you've eaten something? eat. Hey, Elijah, you're tired. When's the last time you've slept? Sleep, right? You have these Christians running around with huge bags under their eyes. Oh, spiritual attacks are so bad. I just can't seem to get ahead. Then sleep. You're not sleeping at night. You're staying up until three in the morning playing Halo, and you're not sleeping, right? I don't know. Do kids still play Halo? That was a popular game that people stayed up late to play for. Whatever, right? You're not sleeping. Sleep. Eat. Right? God shows up 
to Elijah. God knows Elijah better than Elijah knows himself, right? Because nowhere along the lines did Elijah think, huh, maybe I'm just hungry, right? He was clearly very cranky. He was just hangry. That was what's going on with Elijah. But he doesn't eat anything. So God shows up and says, eat something. Elijah, you need strength. Eat, sleep. He doesn't say, Elijah, where's your faith? Elijah, just plead the blood. Just say the name above all names, and all this is going to be cured like a magic pill. That's not what God says, is it? He knows Elijah's needs, and he responds to each one of those needs individually. He doesn't preach him a sermon. He doesn't tell him, Elijah, just sit in your feelings for as long as you'd like. I'll wait. He doesn't say that. He says, Elijah, eat, sleep. And then perhaps, I think this is what I found the most comforting in this entire story. God says, Elijah, I'm not done with you. But this road is too much for you to walk alone. You can't do this on your own, Elijah. But if you trust me, I will provide for your needs. Let me tell you what you need. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to feel done. But I love you too much to keep you there. Walk with me, and I will get you where you need to go. That is how God responds to each one of us, y'all. And that is like water to a parched soul. You ever been so thirsty? Like you're, you're so thirsty and you come inside and you take a drink of water and the water actually tastes? Like I'm not talking about sulfur water because that tastes all the time. I'm talking about just like water, right? And you are just so thirsty that when you take that first drink, it's like, it like has a sweet taste to it. Like every other time, like I'll go take a drink of water right now and it doesn't taste like anything, right? But it's like when you are just bone dry and you take that drink and it's just like, oh, that's what this is like when you realize that this is how God responds to us. We talked two weeks ago, maybe I picked the wrong name for the sermon series, I don't know, but we, we talked two weeks ago about how God wants to talk to us, Right? And then we talked last week about how God wants to walk with us. And now we see it in action with Elijah. God's deepest desire, Elijah, I am not done with you. I know you feel defeated. I know you feel done. But that's because you're leaning on your own understanding. Would you just trust me? And we're going to get into this more next week because it goes, it goes even deeper than this. But this is the point that I want to drive into you today. This is the point that the gospel wants to make so blatantly obvious to us all. Hearing God is not about a process. It's not about taking the right steps or doing the right thing, right? Any more than marriage is a process. I can't, I can't you know, and there are plenty of books that will tell you you can, Go apply these 12 steps and your marriage will thrive in 90 days or, you know, whatever it is, depending on what the title of the book is. It's getting shorter and shorter, right? Because now you don't have to buy the 90-day one. You just get the five-day marriage course. And yeah, great, I can have a great marriage in five days. Perfect. 
beats that other guy. But, but y'all, you cannot grow to love your spouse by applying practical steps. Look, there are things that you can do that put you in a better position, right? But marriage is a relationship. And anybody that tells you that, that a relationship, well, if you just take your spouse on a date every week, look, is that a good idea? Sure. Is it going to fix your marriage if it's deeply flawed? Absolutely not. You'll probably go on your date and argue the whole time, right? There are deep, deep problems that can't be solved by 12 steps or five or whatever it is. It's a relationship. The same way, look, if, if, I, if I'm trying to hear God's voice, but I'm checking baseball scores on ESPN the whole time, I'm probably not going to be able to hear his voice very well, right? But it's still not a process. There aren't steps that you follow, and he's going to always respond the same way every time. It is a relationship. And it is a relationship that he wants more than you. And so all you've got to do is lean into that relationship. We talked about this last week, but God isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done, right? That's what the gospel says. At the very core of the gospel, the gospel says God took the first step all the way across the board, no matter what issue you're talking about. Well, I want to be better at this for God. Well, I want to be better at this for God. Well, I want to do this better. God took the first step, which means all we have to do is lean into that step that he has already initiated. Look at how God responds. Look at his response to Elijah. You know, you guys have heard this before. This is one I stole from my father-in-law, another one. But the most basic definition of ministry is ministry responds to need, right? You cannot do ministry well if you are not responding to need. God looks at Elijah, God knows Elijah, and God responds to the individual need that Elijah has. You see it? tailor-made yet over and over again in churches we decide that we're going to do these ministry outreaches to these underprivileged area and we always bring the same things right well food of course they need food everybody's starving but what if they don't right god wants us to respond god wants us to minister the same way he does to us look at the person the individual person and respond to that individual person's needs as you see them present themselves. I think part of the reason we struggle so much with God is that we expect these one-size-fits-all answers, right? We run these discipleship courses and we, we talk about, you know, what does a disciple of Jesus look like? And we make these cookie cutters. But God doesn't even disciple with each of us the same way. The Holy Spirit disciples with all of us different. So why are we trying to make disciples in our image, in what we think a disciple should look like? Do you see how dependent on the Holy Spirit we have to be if we're going to do this with other people? And it is no more dependent than we have to be if he's going to do it with us. Because this is how God responds. God's response to Elijah is his response to you. It's not exactly the same because you are not exactly the same as Elijah, right? God is not going to show up and make you a cake. Maybe he will. That'd be kind of cool. I would like to eat a God cake. But that's not how he's going to respond to us every time. Because honestly, food is not my greatest need, right? 
Sometimes I need a kick in the pants. And God to say, hey, Jeremy, knock it off. Get to work. Stop feeling sorry for yourself and get to work. But that's also not going to be his response all the time, right? See, we get into this problem as Christians that when people come to us with their suffering, we try to tell them how to get out of it without asking God first, right? I've had that happen a lot where I'm going through something, I suffer something, I'll go to somebody and say, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get over it. Move on. And I think, that's not what I need to hear. Right? I was actually just coming because I just needed somebody to talk to. I really didn't even want advice. (laughs) Thanks, though. Right? We've got to learn how to respond to people. And that response comes from a God who's already responded to us. He took the first step. But no matter what those tangible responses to need are, God is saying to you, listen to this, and look, this, this is the takeaway. You want a takeaway? I don't know how often you all go home and like actually think about these sermons. I, I know I always tell like whoever's leading worship, you're, all, you're much more likely to go home and sing the songs that we've been singing today than you are to go home and like repeat what I'm saying up here. Nobody remembers any of this stuff. I don't remember half the stuff I say, so it's not, that's not. But dwell on this. deliberately take time this week to dwell on this because this is what God is saying to you. This isn't Jeremy talking. This is the Holy Spirit talking. This is what God is saying to every single one of us. I am not done with you. No matter how done you may feel, the God of the universe is not done with you. No matter how alone you feel right now, you feel like there is nobody else walking this road with you, that you are utterly and woefully alone and no one sees you. God sees you. And he has already responded to your deepest needs in this season. You feel like you are at the end of your rope and God says, good, because I didn't want you holding your rope anyway. Grab hold of mine. Come with me. Grab my hand and walk with me. Be confused. Y'all, it's it's actually very liberating (laughs) to let yourself be confused. And if I'm being honest, the church, the, the, the people who are lost right now, walking away from the faith, I don't think they need answers. I don't think they need to come to yet another voice in this world that says, I have all the answers, come to me. Do you know how refreshing it is to come to somebody who says, I don't know what's going on? You don't see anybody like that anymore because everybody's got all the answers, right? But for somebody to say, I don't know what's going on, but I know who does, and I would love it if you would walk with me. I would love it if you would figure this out with me together. If we could walk this road together. If we could find out who this Jesus is together. Do you know how freeing that is for people? I think that's what this world needs more than anything. But it requires a humility from us that we take that first step to say, I don't have all the answers. God confuses me all the time. I think he's going to go left and he goes right. I think he's going to do this and he does that. 
But y'all, if we will cling to the fact that his ways are higher than ours, that his thoughts are higher than ours, that can be an incredible anchor. But it will never work if we insist on understanding every step. If we refuse to take the next step in the road until we know what's going on. But if we let go, on to the fact that his ways are higher than ours. We will find every time a God who responds to every one of our deepest needs. Jesus Christ gave his life to respond to your greatest need, and that's the salvation of your eternal soul. After that, how much more will God respond to every other need that you have? We serve a God who consistently and constantly meets needs if we will let go of our way and walk in his. I don't know how many of y'all needed to hear that today. I think I needed to hear it today, <laughs> probably every day. But let's soak in that this week. Let's soak in the fact that God isn't done with you, that no matter how spent you feel, that if you grab onto his hand, he is not done. God sees you, and he has already responded to every one of your needs. That is how loved you are by your Father in heaven. Walk in that love this week, child of God, and share that love with everybody you come in contact with. Amen? Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.